College Football Live is presented by Dr. Pepper. College Football Live out of the tunnel. Alabama coach Nick Saban tested positive for COVID-19 last Wednesday. He had to watch last weekend's win over Auburn from home. So will Saban return to the sidelines for Saturday's game in Baton Rouge? I'm, I'm going to be back shortly. That's a medical decision. Um, when I can come back, I'm, I'll, I'll be totally 100% with the team. So, um, and that's something that's going to happen in the very near future. And 13th ranked BYU will now face number 18 Coastal Carolina on Saturday. That's a 5:30 game on ESPNU. The Cougars replaced Liberty, who paused all football activities due to coronavirus issues. Here's Coastal Carolina Athletic Director Matt Hogue. We were notified uh, this morning by uh, Liberty University that they had to pause uh, football activities based on the, the COVID protocols and, and precautions. And unfortunately, we were un unable to play them. Uh, so we had to turn to uh, contingency plans and uh, we were able to uh, take advantage of this opportunity that, uh, that presented itself with uh, obviously college game day with ESPN already uh, scheduled to be here and uh, going to be a lot of fun, I think, for Teal Nation and uh, for Shauna Clear fans. And we have a great opponent coming in here as well uh, that uh, we know has uh, implications on the, uh, the college football landscape, particularly the college football playoff uh, rankings. Well, he's right. And time now for Tell of the Tape as we look at the third regular season matchup between FBS teams that enter with a record of 9-0 or better since the year 2000. BYU and Coastal Carolina both among the top 10 in the FBS in point differential per game this season. With that, we welcome in Tom Luganbill and former BYU Cougar Trevor Maddich. I'm Wendy Nix, and we'll start right there. The BYU-Coastal Carolina game, Trevor, you heard the AD say, has big-picture implications. He's not wrong. Walk us through that. Well, it's really about the New Year's Six because the playoff is out of reach for both of these programs, absent something like alien abduction to the teams ahead of them. For BYU, the problem has been from the committee that their schedule hasn't been strong enough. That's why they're down at number 13, even though on tape they look a lot better. This gives them a chance to face a ranked opponent. For Coastal Carolina, to get to the New Year's Six, they need to be the highest-ranked champion from the group of five. Well, right now, the Cincinnati Bearcats are at number seven. If they stumble, then a win over a respected program and highly ranked like BYU would give the Chanticleers the opportunity to jump ahead of Cincinnati and get that automatic berth to the New Year's Six. I tell you, Trevor, I, and I know you're a proud Coug, and, and as well you should be, and I've had an opportunity to do a BYU game uh, this year, and I'm so pleased that this game is taking place, most notably because of the kickoff time, 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Everybody's going to get to see it, and not enough people have had an opportunity to watch either of these teams, but in particular BYU quarterback Zach Wilson, and haven't seen him up close and personal, having watched his progression. I had them twice last year. He was battling injuries. This guy's special. He's not good. He's special. I think he's going to play himself into being a top 10 overall pick. He's that good. And defensively, BYU, man, you're going to have to earn it. If you're the Chanticleers on offense, be patient because BYU is not going to give up the big play. They are so physical up front in the trenches on both sides of the ball. I'm tickled to death about this one. I think it's great for college football. It's great for the college football playoff rankings, and it's great that everybody's actually going to see it in a window 
that's going to be nationwide. Well, and fun fact, guys, this is my hometown, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. So, <laughs> you know, that's good, too. I like it. And on Tuesday, the College Football Committee released its second rankings. There was no movement in the top six. But as you just mentioned, with a win this weekend, BYU would hope to crack the top ten in next week's rankings, which come out every Tuesday. And, Tom, this is our first show since we've seen these exact rankings. What's your takeaway from where those teams sit right now? That, that Ohio State is doing this at number four. Please, we're just hanging on. Let the games be played. Let the games be played. Let's not forget the college football playoff committee does not have a mandate for how many games you have to play to earn a berth. The Big Ten does. And so the Ohio State Buckeyes need the games to be played so that they can earn a right to get into the Big Ten championship game. And I think most notably, because we are going to have other 11-1 teams, we're going to have teams with far more data points, more sample sizes to evaluate. Ohio State needs that, and they particularly need it on the defensive side of the football. I don't think anybody has come away and looked at Ohio State and said, wow, on defense. Offensively, without question. So I think that's what stood out to me. You keep wondering what's going to happen at 4, 5, and 6, and it revolves around Ohio State and how many games they're going to get in. Now, Tom, the interesting thing there is that the only teams that actually control their own destiny are ranked 1, 2, 3, and 6. Yes. A&M needs two teams to lose ahead of them, Florida and Clemson. Or check that. Um, Clemson and who's the other one? That's no, it. You need, you, you, you need Florida to lose to Alabama without question. You need A&M right. to win out. There you go. That's what they need. But Ohio State needs COVID to allow them to play. So 1, 2, 3 control their own destiny. Florida mm-hmm controls its own destiny. Because if Florida wins out and then beats Alabama in the SEC championship game, they're in. But that's the interesting thing. Numbers five and four do not control their own destiny. Well, also, look, guys, 2020 is what it is. But what we don't want to see and what I think no one wants to see, especially Ohio State, but everybody, is to have this thing decided or determined by a lack of games. That just doesn't, doesn't help things. We are where we are. But you got to keep your fingers crossed that at the very least they can play and that can decide things. With that, we'll take a look at the one final team vote. This is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. Again, no movement in the rankings uh, from last week in the top six. So we ask you this. Ohio State, is it still your choice for the final spot in the college football playoff? Remember, the Buckeyes took 42% of the vote, followed by Florida, Cincinnati, and Texas A&M. As for three storied programs currently on the outside looking into the top 25, we say hello to Adam Rittenberg, our senior college football writer, who's got an interesting article out right now on ESPN+. Plus. Blockbuster hires turned lackluster. And Adam, let's start with the Texas Longhorns and what will go into the evaluation process of Coach Tom Herman. Well, Wendy, I think it's two areas. First, can they hire Urban Meyer? He is absolutely at the top of Texas's wish list. Does he want to return to coaching? He obviously enjoys his role right now as an analyst, and obviously would cost a lot of money to get him. But if Texas can get him, I'm told that's a no-brainer. If it's not Urban Meyer, you know, is anybody else going to satisfy that fan base after a good but not great tenure by one of Meyer's former protégés in Tom Herman? So Urban Meyer's interest is the big thing to watch here. The number two thing is just the cost. I'm told that this co- total coaching transaction, firing Herman, getting rid of the staff, hiring a coach like Meyer 
or a James Franklin or someone of that ilk and hiring a new staff is going to cost somewhere between 23 and $30 million, maybe even more than that. That's a lot of money, even for Texas, especially during a pandemic. So that's another concern for athletic director Chris Del Delcani and the Texas Brass. Yeah, Adam, that, that's not nothing. That, that's for sure, even for Texas. Uh, then when you talk about Michigan and Nebraska, both of those programs led by former quarterbacks, uh, coaches with histories there, what happens in those situations? Well, Nebraska's not firing Scott Frost. I think staff changes are likelier in Lincoln. As for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan, that's certainly the interesting situation to watch. When do they return to the field? How do those results go? There's nobody that believes Michigan will outright fire Jim Harbaugh. But could they reach a mutual parting of ways, especially after the way this year has gone? That's certainly possible. He either goes back to the NFL, takes a year off. But nobody sees Michigan going into Jim Harbaugh's office and saying, hey, Jim, you're fired. Now, he could also return. Uh, it's very unusual for a coach to go into the final year of his contract without any sort of guarantee beyond that. But Jim Harbaugh is an unusual coach. He might want to come back to Michigan in 2021, probably with a largely new coaching staff, and try to finish out that contract. All right, Adam, thank you again. That article out now on ESPN+. Since Harbaugh took over in 2015, Michigan has struggled to win the big ones against unranked opponents. Michigan 38-6 and with a points-per-game differential above 20. However, against top 11 teams, the Wolverines are just 2-12 and and have been outscored by double digits. It makes a lot of sense, Tom, what you heard Adam say about no one just walking in and saying, hey, Harbaugh, you're out, given his history with that university. But what's your take on that? You know, that graphic that we just showed, I think, reveals a lot because, you know, I'm not so sure that our expectation for the Michigan program in terms of wins and losses in today's climate isn't too high. I, I you know, I look at Michigan and I say, OK, the personnel's not what Ohio State is. And in order to get to the Big Ten championship game, you're going to have to beat Ohio State. Well, let's just say that if Wisconsin or Penn State uh, are on the schedule, those are potential losses. So is Michigan a program right now that we should look at, regardless of who the coach is, and say, this is a 9-10 win program? Because unless their personnel is so far superior right now to a Penn State or a Wisconsin um, and even Michigan State on a good year, and we know it's not where Ohio State is, why do we keep thinking that this thing is taking a turn for the better when the wins that they're getting are really wins 11 through top 25, very strong record there. You know what? That's a 9 or 10 win program. But if you're going to be winning teams versus top 10, Trevor, then you need to be an 11 and 12 win program, and that we have not seen, and I don't know if it matters who the Michigan coach is. Right, Tom, and it's all being judged on the level of Ohio State. Sure. It's okay to butt up against the ceiling of the Buckeyes. Everybody does for the most part in the Big Ten. The question is, are you getting closer to that ceiling or are you getting farther away from that ceiling? And Michigan has been getting farther away. And they lost to Michigan State, for goodness sake. I mean, they're not even there. And you look at Indiana as an example in their own division. Indiana took Ohio State to the wire in Columbus this year whereas Michigan has really struggled. So by comparison to Indiana, by comparison to Michigan State, for goodness sake, Michigan has really struggled, and they're not getting closer to the Buckeyes. They're getting farther away. Now, part of the problem is the way that their recruiting has happened. They've had position groups that have done well. At the same time, other position groups have struggled, and they haven't been able to 